And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Crescent Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice, a spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And we do stream live online as well, www.cfrc.ca. Coming up on the show today in the first hour... From the Sunday, June 30th, final session of the second day of a three-day annual poetry festival called Poets at Art Fest, this one, Art Fest 5, uh, you'll hear readings by Bruce Whiteman, Bob uh, Robert Hogg, Armand Garnett Rufo, and Phil Hall. And in the second hour, as we move into that first session of the final day of that festival, you'll hear readings by Ron Chase and Graham and Ken Chin. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So to begin with, uh, we'll continue the remaining readings of the three-day poetry festival this year called Poets at Art Fest 5. I will mention the... The full festival, the readings took place from June 29th through July 1st, and uh, the Poetry Festival itself was tied to the much larger Art Fest Kingston 2019 Artist Festival. So up first in it today, as we continue uh, from the last several weeks uh, of uh, airing these, uh, we're into the last afternoon session of the second day, and here is Bruce Whiteman. Bruce Lightman is a poet and book reviewer. He has lived in Montreal, Hamilton, and the American Midwest, and Los Angeles, and now lives in Toronto. His most recent poetry collections are Intimate Letters, 2014, and Tablature, 2015. Intimate Letters forms the seventh book of his long poem, The Invisible World is in Decline. Book seven, The Sad Machine uh, Mechanic Exercise, was published by Gasparo Press as a chapbook in April of this year. Bruce Whiteman uh, teaches creative writing in the School of Continuing Studies at the University of Toronto. Let's bring up Bruce Whiteman. Thank you, Bruce, and thank you all for being here on this buggy day. Um, I'm primarily, I'm going to read two or three poems from my new chapbook, and I'll say a little bit about that in a minute. But I wanted to start with two more traditional lined poems. These are unpublished. Um, the, and the whole thing is kind of gloomy. It's probably good I'm going first so that my three colleagues can cheer us all up a little bit. Um, <laughs> or not. Okay. <laughs> So this first poem is called uh, Quia Autum Tradidit Eum, which is a phrase from scripture about betrayal, essentially. <clears throat> the backyard garden is neglected. Tall, twiggy shoots from last summer gone to straw, and ancient squash turned dust, fragile and vacuum-packed, verging on nothing. Ragged flowers pretend they're new, they are, but somehow seem a mere reflection of flowers past, secondhand and unconvincing. It's hard to sort out what's eternal from what's just repetition. 
The pigeons flee at nothing more than sorrow's tiny sigh, barely heard like a heart going crack. The children build a complex geometry of cars and sticks into a work of art, part inventory of what they find abandoned in the yard, part transmutation of the everyday and its bric-a-brac into Vatic wonder. They will be fine. There is only so much betrayal a family can manage. Wasted time solely seems a problem to the adult mind, a life divided into before and after, that chasm in the earth where love was told to go, intromitted, buried as something dead. And the second of these two poems is called Place of No Helps. And Place of No Helps is a phrase from a poem by Robert Heyman, who was the first poet to write poetry in English in Canada. He came over as the governor to Newfoundland in the 17th century and went back to London and published a book of poems called Quad Labets in 1628. And his description of Newfoundland was the place of no helps. Asylum flowers give off heat to keep our feet warm, a warning that everyone lacks love and forces stories and mental states to make life work. Sea of put-on mansuetude and slender waist talks incessantly on the phone or mumbles to herself midst tears. The gears in my head rumble on. Out the window, the striated shadows of late afternoon cut through a field of gone corn. Tender is the fight to stay alive. The hexagonal heart keeps up its hydraulic motions, its thoughtless scarlet flow and pointless beat. The texture of the day is not a help. It fades away, and what's the good of that? A bear in train of winter sleep banishes time like no one human can. There is no hope unless the bear, before it vanishes, copes with sorrow in a lingering roar. So I'll read uh, two or three poems. These are prose poems from this little book called The Sad Mechanic Exercise. Um, the title is taken from uh, Tennyson's In Memoriam, and it's actually Tennyson's. Are you having a hard time hearing me? Okay. Um, and it's actually Tennyson's little description of writing in the aftermath of the death of his very, very dear and young friend. And the quote from the poem is, I sometimes hold it half a sin to out in words the grief I feel. For words like nature half reveal and half conceal the soul within. But for the unquiet heart and brain, a use in measured language lies, the sad mechanic exercise like dull narcotics numbing pain. So that's where I got the title. That's Tennyson, not me. <laughs> It's always, it's always a risk to quote another poet <laughs> as you're reading. Well, we loved the Tennyson, but Whiteman was a bit more. So the, these are prose poems that constitute a very short section of my long poem that Bruce mentioned, called The Invisible World is in Decline. 
And they focus around the poet Ovid, who was banished by Caesar Augustus in 4 BCE, I think, uh, to the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire, where basically nobody spoke Latin, and it was cold, and he just, he wrote two books from there, essentially asking to be taken back to Rome, and also just saying how horrible his life had become. His wife was not allowed to go with him, his family was not allowed to go with him, and he you know, was in a place where there were, you know, no bookstores, <laughs> nobody to talk to. Um, and he has this lovely image about it's so cold that if you spill wine, it freezes before it hits the floor, you know. So I, I kind of invoke him and, as it were, blend his sense of exile and his unhappiness with my own. And the first poem is called Tristan Virons. It seems important to begin by saying that I am alone. I have been sent into exile to the tea place. Oh, the, the place where Ovid was sent was called Thomas. The place where I was sent was called Toronto. <laughs> I have been sent into exile to the tea place. I am not sure what I did wrong. 2,000 years from now, no one will know either. The tea place is white and cold. It is on the water and not really a center of power or poetry or even love not in global terms. It is dominated by high buildings where tens of thousands of people make love at night, hundreds of feet up in the air, and drink coffee at breakfast filtered from beans that have come from thousands of miles away. Their toilets flush into the void. There are sheep and geese within the city limits. In January, there is ice on the lake and snow in the air. People still flow into the streets in order to smoke cigarettes and to walk their dogs. Everyone's inbox is full of messages from foreign countries urging them to give up their personal sovereignty and to devote themselves to paraphilias of all sorts. Politics is just another version of non-reproductive sex acts, or so they say. The tea place is a port and everyone has a story as people do in ports. They exist in the present. They have to. The past is gray or hurts too much, and the future is imponderable like agriculture and weather predictions. Everyone is off to some other location, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. The tea place is a city of extenuating circumstances, of margins to be transgressed. 10,000 people a month arrive here, most of them refugees from lives that had ceased to work from imminent failure, from love's recessive gene, from power. They stay or move on. Sadness pervades the streets. At three o'clock in the morning, there are poets standing alone in 24-hour grocery, grocery stores, charging their plastic baskets with limes and day-old bread, Mexican tomatoes and soba noodles, and something meant to substitute for meat. Andrew, the night cashier, always says the same thing. Have a good one. He's forgotten that the liquor store is closed <laughs> and that the morning newspapers have not yet arrived. Poetry and a big mistake, those are what explain the present circumstances. Um, scholars have no idea of why Ovid was sent to Thomas. Um, 
and all that Ovid says in the poems in Tristia and another book called um, well it doesn't matter was that there was it was a big mistake probably something he did wrong um, Caesar Augustus was trying to reform Roman morals and Ovid was anything but a moralist um, so he may have just done something that so irritated the emperor that he got sent as far away as possible so my second and last excerpt from this book um, is called The Chill, The Stupor, The Letting Go, which I'm sure many of you will recognize as a, as a steal from Emily Dickinson. And then there's actually an epigraph from another poet, Ann Carson, which says, I had no home in goodness anymore. Um, you are going to hear me say some Latin, but it's translated in the poem, so it's not necessary to explain. My heart resists letting the blow of a fresh hurt disappear. How does the pain go when it sloughs off into darkness? Slowly, it goes slowly. Or it doesn't go at all, it doesn't go anywhere. What was a precious habit becomes the unavailable past. You become a memory, you become a photograph, you become a permanent dream. I obsess around Tristia 4, 1, Line 97. Corpore vetusta meum tanquam nova vulnera novit. I am nothing but memory. What kind of life is that? Wife. Strife. A line comprised of memory is nothing, really. It's on hold or it's over. Everything reminds me of you. A black elastic, coagulant with your hair and scent, rests commandingly on a bedside table, rooted from its hiding hole in a red suitcase dirty from travel to happy places. There were happy places once. This is a quotation from Tennyson. No, she never loved me truly. Love is love forevermore. Even Tennyson's lowly soldier boy knew more about love than you. I can't get loss out from under my fingernails. You ripped me in half like a piece of paper down its long dimension through the fibers of my heart. You drained all the sweetness from the world. A thousand images drawn from romance don't seem to help. Truth doesn't seem to help. The sky itself seems indignant, but what does that accomplish? I have the sky on my side. There it is. And here's an image I wish I hadn't published, but anyway. I wish I had saved all my tears in a bowl so that I could throw them in your face. What a ridiculous idea. You used to elevate me, now you make me ridiculous. Ovid said poems emerge from happiness, so what is this all about? A tree bursting with birds in congregational song is a poem. It just needs a poet to walk by to hear them. There is no letting go. Ovid knew that too. Small hurts fly off with the years. Deep pain rankles and is relentlessly renewed. Another quote from Ann Carson. It is a moment like no other when one's lover comes in and says, I do not love you anymore. I want to repeat those lines a thousand times and transform them from a moment into a living thing, an animal with glowering eyes and frightening teeth, 
a carnivore I give myself up to as a willing sacrifice. It is better to be consumed than to go on after such words. Thank you. Thank you. Bruce Whiteman, let's give him another hand. And you just heard a reading by Bruce Whiteman in the last session of the second day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Up next in it, here is Robert, or a.k.a. Bob Hogg. Here we go. Up next, Bob Hogg was born in Edmonton, Alberta, grew up in the Caribou and Fraser Valley in British Columbia and attended UBC during the early 60s where he was associated with the Vancouver Tisch Poets and graduated with a BA in English and Creative Writing. In 1964, he hitchhiked east to Toronto, then visited Buffalo, New York, uh, where Charles Olson was teaching. After spending a few months in New York City, Bob entered the graduate program at the State University of New York at Buffalo, completing a PhD and took a job teaching American and Canadian poetry at Carleton University in Ottawa for the next 38 years. Currently resides at his uh, farm 50 miles south of Ottawa and is working on four collections. And I'll let it go at that, Bob. Let's bring Robert Hogg up. Thanks. Well, there are two little collections sitting over there. Actually, are three little collections sitting over there that are in print. Uh, and two of them are uh, poems that are part of a collection that I'm putting together called the Caribou Poems, and uh, the earliest poem from that bunch, I think it is, is over there in, in book form, written in the early 60s, and then the most recent one was also there, where it's just written last fall. I'll speak louder. Okay. I wanted to open the reading with a poem I wrote for Bruce. Uh, it's a humorous poem, and it's, an, it's not meant in any way to be derogatory, uh, <laughs> but of course it's just a... It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a jibe against uh, Tennyson, who I find quite difficult sometimes, uh, impossible. After uh, reading uh, some of the uh, poem that, that, that Bruce just read in manuscript and trying to figure out what the, where the title came from, I worked like a dog on Tennyson and read and read and read through him more. <laughs> I got about 30 or 50% of the way through and I finally gave up and quit. That was too much. Am I still too quiet? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay, well, this poem is called Of Cruelty Beyond Measure, or The Last Gasparo, for Bruce Whiteman. What cruelties doth winter have in store, a veritable emporium, to punish the lax scholar more than Alfred's old in memoriam? 130 cantos long, and nary a drop of humor split. So dreary and weary and bleary a song has seldom incurred such painful guilt. Alas, I read it but part way through, searching for ecstasies of mind. But birth nor mirth, nay worth but few, did I in all that treasure find. But from my troubled heart and brain, I found a line to my surprise, the sad mechanic exercise adequate drug for my numbing pain. Eureka, I yelled, now I have found a small or large machine made up of words, garnered from Tennyson's everlasting wound and William's love of the practical mud and birds. Uh, 
supposed to be funny. Kind of. And quite recently, uh, I wrote a poem called The Poem at the End of the World. Did you actually manage to hear what I was saying? Is it getting better? It's better closer. <clears throat> the Poem at the End of the World. If you fall out of love with poetry, you fall out of love with the world, which is not good. That it can live without your love, which is a kind of poetry to the world, wrought as it is in the shape of a man or a woman, the form of love, a poem, stood on its ear so that you could hear it differently, go here. As a pear might ripen, rot on its branch and fall into worldly love or a lovely world. So I'm going to read a poem called Exodus, the VT. The VT is a, re a reference to the ranch I lived on as a child in the Caribou. Nobody knows what that stands for. It's really funny. I'm guessing it was just given out to somebody who needed a, bra uh, a brand name before our time. So we bought that ranch in 1951. My dad came out of Edmonton with, with the family, with me as a little kid, and bought this ranch. And we decided to go ranching in the wilderness of the interior of, of BC, uh, somewhere near 100 Mile House. Uh, and we didn't last very long. Uh, in three years, within three years, we went broke thanks to the Actually, it was a very interesting situation. There had been a hoof and mouth disease outbreak in uh, Saskatchewan. And uh, it never got west of the Rockies, but uh, the American Cattlemen's Association finagled the American purchases of uh, Canadian beef such that we didn't get to sell uh, any beef to cross the line for something like two years. And that hit us just when we first started the ranch up. So we went absolutely broke. And uh, we were getting 50% for what we were getting when we bought the ranch for the cattle we sold. So it's called the Exodus, VT. Was, uh, we left the ranch in 1953 in, in the fall. November 28th, and here I am, retired at last in my mountain fastness, remembering yet again that fateful day, 65 years ago, piling into our 48 Dodge one-ton pickup truck, mom and dad and me. George enrolled at Clinton High till the end of term, Boarding with the Cunninghams at 74 Mile House, John Ralston, teacher of the Flying U, to bring him down to the coast for Christmas. Tin Cup School closed this year for lack of funds or students, or maybe no teacher, I don't recall. That gave me a month, a three-month vacation until this day, and now it's all over, the glory days of life on the ranch. And because I was home from school that fall, I got to join the September cattle drive bedding down en route at Irwin Flats with my dad and the other ranchers before driving our herd, bawling and crying to the stockyards of the PGE at Graham's Siding, one and only time in my life. And now it's all over, so much uncertain, walking out to the corral to say goodbye to the horses, clipping with the kitchen scissors a bit of red hair from Ginger's mane, a snippet of Slim's black tail, putting the relics in a small jar, a small envelope to, to keep forever until I forget there was something else too, but I can't remember. Had to send my dog Sport down to Bamfield Inlet for Val Hughes, world's greatest teacher, previous year, now offered to take him, me crying and crying over the cruelty of giving him up. Couldn't afford the dog food anymore. Couldn't burn my, burden my Uncle Bill down in Burnaby with another mouth to feed and dad throwing everything he could into the back of our pickup, 
Six foot sides and back we built for hauling sawdust from the tin cup mill. Now all beds and mattresses, clothes we'd need right away, big things to follow in a moving van, but everything else that belonged to the ranch proper left to chance. Don't worry, Dad said. They won't steal the saddles, blankets, or harness. They're all good folk in the caribou. Wrong from the start. And as soon as we were gone, the plunder began. By the time we inquired later, there was nothing worth taking. Even the branding iron, gone. The Angora shafts, gone. My saddle with the flying U stamped on the cantle, gone. Saddle blankets with BT woven into them, preserved now only in photos. Me on Ginger, a poem commemorating that. And when the truck was packed, we three climbed into the front seat. Dad driving, no brakes. That model Dodge always had dodgy brakes, he used to say. No time or money for a final repair. That old truck so beat, it looked like it had been through a war, Dad said. Working the floor on the floor as we drive down our two and a half mile lane out to the North Bonaparte Road and on to 70 Mile House, then south to Clinton, Cache Creek, and the twists and turns and downhill nightmares of the Fraser Canyon Highway, Lytton, Boston Bar, Hell's Gate, Spasm, sheer terror in my mother's, in my mom's heart, holding on to the passenger door handle, me watching my knees, dad working that gear shift to prevent a runaway on the steep slopes where the logging trucks sometimes shoot up a side ramp, brakes on fire. When we get to Hope, it'll level off, he says, double clutching into first or bull low, slowed us right down to a couple of miles per hour for the sharpest turns, had to avoid using the handbrake, worked only on the drive shaft, except to stop for lights, and at last we hit the valley, Chilliwack, Abbotsford, Langley, Wally. We cross the Tullow Bridge and make our way through Safferton and down North Road to the old Lokeet Highway, then right on Keswick and right again on Cameron and turn left into my uncle's driveway, rambling oasis, two-story clapboard, farmhouse, dad pulling up the handbrake in a final triumphant gesture. It would have burned out in no time had I used it through the canyon. But now it brings us to a safe and sudden halt. It's late afternoon, and there's Uncle Bill walking up the driveway, his teenage daughters, Eunice and Vera, gliding down the porch stairs, all smiles to greet us and house us the next six months till Dad can find a job. Keeping on paying the mortgage on a ranch of no return. I never forgot that day. That's interesting. Huh? And every year, I. I commemorate it with nothing, but that year I, I got a poem for it, so. Unpredictable forecast. Hey Siri, what's the weather? Minus 23 in snow squalls. Better put on some pants or you'll freeze your balls, I think she said. There are no kids here, right? Dogs are okay? I want to read a poem called Amber Alert, if I can find it. I just wrote it, but it's great. Amber Alert, after W.H. Auden. It's after a poem by Auden, many of you will know, but maybe a few won't know called that, at the Musée de Beaux-Arts, something to that point. It was a day like any other, you know, the kind the poet wrote about. 
people going about their business, maiming and killing each other, the usual stuff. And today I wake up groggy as usual, repeating myself, chug down a cup of java, take a shower, dry off, and pat my balls with baby powder. Used to be talc, you know the scandal. But that's neither here nor there, just another thing of the past put you off track. When the real calamity is down past my belly, now oversized, and no damn business being there, and my dong's gone. I kid you not, I'm looking everywhere, hard as I can, put on my glasses, feel around and say, help me, it's nowhere to be found. I begin to panic, wouldn't you? But then remember, this isn't the first dick's gone missing, but hey, those were all cool trickster myths from Sandy Lake and other indigenous tales I don't dare reach for anymore. So what am I to do? I put out an SOS to the local OPP. It's at least an amber alert, I say. What's your name, she says, and that's when I hang up. <laughs> Another crank call I hear her say under her breath, which smells like tulips, but I don't expect you'll believe that. Impossible thought. So naturally I do what any lopsided bopper would do and hop on Facebook, post my plight, but oh God, the story goes viral. People all over the world are writing in to say they found a missing prick. One which is possibly fake reads, Downtown Hong Kong, miraculous dong found growing from ground below, attempts to penetrate penthouse balcony. Dweller threatens to chop down if not claimed immediately. But no phone number. It must be mine, I think, intuitively. But what can I do, trapped on my farm, middle of nowhere, Canada, planning to go cut wood, a day like any other, people going about their business, axe in hand, just like the poet said. <laughs> that was Robert Hogg. Let's give him another hand. And you just heard Robert Bob Hogg in the last session of the second day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest Vibe Poetry Festival. And up next in it, here is Armand Garnett Rufo. Up next, Armand Garnett Rufo was born and raised in Chaplow, Northern Ontario, and is a member of the Chaplow Locks Lake First Nation. He's recognized as a major contributor of both contemporary Indigenous literature and, and Indigenous literary scholarship in Canada. As an educator, he is currently the Queen's National Scholar in Indigenous Literature at Queen's University in Kingston. As a poet and writer, he has published widely and has read from his work both nationally and internationally. In 2016, he was honored with a Lifetime Membership Award from the National Council of the League of Canadian Poets. His latest book of poetry is Treaty Number, which came out this year, right, in, uh, by Wilsack Wynn. He is currently interviewed uh, by Malahat Review about it. That interview will be posted on their website on Tuesday, the July 2nd. Let's bring up Armand. Read to the furthest people. Pigments. They're in the kitchen laughing. I'm on the couch half watching the hockey game. Saturday night and Mervyn is making up my mother. He applies some red lipstick and digs into his black case and takes out a small paintbrush. He dips it into a small container and brushes her cheeks. 
My mother is wearing her sparkly blue dress and high black heels that match her black hair. Mervyn's wearing a tight white shirt, yellow socks, pointed shoes, and black slacks. The dress-up kind I wear on special occasions. When I was younger, Mervyn used to babysit me and the other kids from the neighborhood. He'd take us to the movie theater where he'd give us brooms we'd push around like a little army. He'd let us keep any money we found and we'd stick our thin arms between the seats feeling for coins. If we behaved, at the end of the job, he'd stick his arm behind the lack locked candy counter and slip out a package of mints. He always grabbed the pink ones. We preferred them anyways. The white ones burned our mouths. We would stand in a row and Mervyn would drop a mint on our tongues, just like communion. Tonight, they're going to the sportsman's lounge or maybe to a party. I tell them to have a good time, go back to the hockey game, and don't think anything. That will come later from the snickers of the kids at school, where I'll float above myself and act like I don't know him. Competition. <laughs> Okay. Filament. Always the spectral fragment. Filament of line cast back there, where open mouth fish gulp down shiny lures. I once sang in an auditorium to almost empty rows. I looked for my people in the seats, under the seats, behind the seats, but they weren't there. I called the three people who were there to come up and introduce themselves. They were young aspirants. They talked about themselves, their professional websites. They talked about their astronomical aspirations. What they didn't talk about is why. Maja, time collapses everything. Orgami people were all eventually blown into uncertainty. Zagwe. Is that how you say it? It's that too. We were, to, we were to all return, if only by the stars. For a while, we thought we could change the world. For a while, we thought we had a place in the world. The offers came, good ones. Corner offices, security, mortgages, investments, cars, boats, houses, memberships to health clubs, fan clubs, promotion, seduction, reduction, fame, fame, fame. He says, business is business. She says, look at me. I say it was planned and bound to happen. Together, we held the thrashing fish in our hands and felt the world slip. Luck. I'll, I'll, start I'll read this one. I'm going up to Halliburton in that area tomorrow. So I'll read this. 
Halliburton Highlands night. The car's headlights wrench open the night. Trees caught in a frenzy, wipers slashing across our eyes, straining to push the heavy rain. Up ahead, a tow truck and a man in an orange raincoat waving us past the commotion on the road below. A huge poplar snapped by the wind. Up ahead, a blue car crumpled like a tin can, the front end suspended on cables floating above the ditch. And we, unable to help or even turn around on the slick road, expect more death around every bend, over every knoll. And I think, how do you help the dead anyway? They like to believe here there are there are there were never any Indians in these parts. It makes for a clear conscience. It's not true. The right thing would be to do would be to pray and set down food for the spirits. But I am not traveling in that direction tonight. Instead, I keep my mouth shut, clutch the steering wheel, and keep moving. Luck. Tonight the waterfront is wrapped in clear plastic. I search for another way to describe it. The beach, the town docks, the diving board, the monkey bars, the old bandstand, all of it preserved in sunlight so bright it shines a hole right through you. That's me down there, all angle and reflection. I have buried myself up to my neck in warm sand. And I am looking at the sky that is the lake, and the lake hurts to look at it. Then I hear a bell. People are shouting, but I am too far away. All the kids go off running. A friend's house is on fire, and everyone is burned. I will hear about it tomorrow at school. I know, they know, that bad things happen. Good things happen too. It's like when you find a dollar or something even more precious, like an ear or an eye, and there is no one around to claim it except you. And it tells you things, shows you things, teaches you to beware. more minutes here. Small defiance. Yesterday we did ceremony. We sat in a circle in what was once a great forest. Earlier that morning my son climbed a lone white pine he was surprised when I encouraged him to go higher into the branches. Not far, the city hung in the distance, trucks pulling rattling trailers. Still, we managed to forget where we were. It felt good, the day warm, the smell of sage rising in my, in my, in, from the fire, carrying into my clothes for a while. Later, getting back onto the road, 
I slipped back into my straitjacket. The white material tied my arms behind my back. I drove like that all the way home. And the last piece is this one. <coughs> Nanabuzo. So Nanabuzo is. <laughs> Nanabuzo is with us. So, on a perfect summer day, we gather around the old man, those of us turned blue by impending loss. He says there is nothing to fear. He says it like an answer. He says the snow and ice and rain have carried much away, but everything once thought dead is returning like spring. There are stories faint as an echo that foretell of such things. At his bedside, I touch his hand. It feels like paper. He says his mind is made up, but his body wants to hang on. It loves the earth. There is nothing he can do anymore, neither for himself nor his people, and he wants to cry. He has stayed human. On his mantle are photographs angled to illuminate those he will leave, and yet not quite out of the glare. No matter how he positions them, no one, it seems, is ever clear enough. I wheel him outside for a cigarette, expect him to say something profound, but all he does is enjoy the smoke. He has already given enough. When I finally say goodbye, he says, I'll be seeing you, as though I'll see him tomorrow or the next day. Later, I think he is referring to eternity. Walking the sunny street home, I am freezing, and as a last resort, I steal words to warm myself, bits of conversation grabbed and remembered, made my own. Think of Nanabuzo, who stole fire and brought it to humankind. Zarman Garnet Rufo, let's give him another hand. And you just heard Armand Garnet Rufo in the last session of the second day of the three day poetess at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Up next in it, the final poet that day, and will be the final poet in this first half of the show. Here is Phil Hall. Up next, Phil Hall has been publishing poetry in Canada since the early 70s and is the author of many books and chapbooks. His book of essay poems, Kildeer, 2011, won the Governor General's Literary Award for Poetry in English, as well as Ontario's Trillium Book Award. His most recent trade books are Guthrie Clothing, the Poetry of Phil Hall, a selected collage, 2015, Conjugation, 2016, Recent Chapbooks, Notes on Assemblage, 2017, The Intrepid with Aaron Moore, 
in the same year, 2017, and al alternative girders uh, in 2018. In 2015, Kildare was translated into French. He has taught widely and been in residence at Queen's University, the University of Ottawa, Sage Hill, the Pierre Burton House in Yukon, and most recently at UNB in Fredericton this past year. He is a valued editor, mentor of poetry manuscripts, is a founder of Butt Singles Press, and the director of the Page Lectures at Queen's University. Forthcoming books in 2020, Wet Ears, Italics. Beautiful Outlaw Press and Niagara and Government and Peddler Press. Let's bring up Phil Hall. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Armand. It's a blessing to be read to, like children should be. Um, when people ask me what I'm working on, I'm in the habit of saying all oh, bits and pieces, and um, I mean it. Uh, I'm not just being modest. I've come to um, not really trust the finished poem. Uh, I used to call them the little square ones. Uh, you'd give them a title and they'd fit on one page and you could sell them to journals and like that. So I started stringing them all together and uh, when I look at poems in my old books, I think they look like fossils to me, you know, like they were something that used to be alive when I was working on them, but now this is kind of like the impression of what I was doing once, like that. So I tried to put this book, Guthrie Clothing, together from bits and pieces to make it a collage. And so I'll just read you a couple little wee bits here. Uh, some really small ones, because Michael is here. Um, it is not you, it is the door, and then the phone. I open myself to cradle phonemes now that you are these things. And another one. My real feet in my knees, I kneel to go with you. And this one I need both hands. These binoculars, my handcuffs. And this little wee one, too, using both meanings of pen, the writing and the cage, right? People are like pens in pens. They lie around for years. They never write anything. Sometimes they dry up. So what? But mostly the ink is in there, dry and ready. Wolves in marbles. Foxfire hoof patterns. Etiquette muskies. 
So instead of instead of little square ones, um, instead of the finished poem, um, I thought that what I would share with you is something. Do you know the word? Do you know the word varv? The word varv that I've, I like this word, and it means one year of sediment, limestone, so that when this was all underwater and sediment was being laid down as limestone, one year of it was called varv. What was the varv that year? So you could call what I'm going to share with you here varv, if you want. Um, these are these are little bits that I took out of my notebook, current notebook this morning. So, um, the vulnerable syllable. I am overwhelmed by my own study, a warren. Am under siege from my own library. Wherever I am staring, a noun blocks the verb's path. The elaborateness of this is grotesque and binding. Pattern and repetition, numbness and silence. High poplar laughter in the late light. I see us all isolated on a great plain, as they used to say. We are hiding from time and consequence each night under the same lid of cheap narrative. The stories are of time travel and revenge. Each little monologue replaces a quest to shame an ex rapes a halo. It is all very it. Accidents are not omissions. A clever line. Now wait 40 years. See if it means anything. I don't have enough time to read everything I want to or everything I want to read again. Some books are as familiar as birth certificates. Daphne Marlott's work has been absorbed, as has George Stanley's, Robin Blazer's. How alone I am with them as part of me. I would know at the by Phyllis Webb if I were blindfolded and handed a braille sample. This belonging is obsessional devotion to the care of rhythm in sound. This love of reading, my friends, to deliberate on the deliberate is not liberating. The end of the poem as tableau has not been heard of yet in these parts. I cut my own hair at sundown.
appendectomy and the word ah are equal. For bad poetry, life isn't short enough. Dictionary recipes. My neighbor worships noise the way I worship silence. Theodore Retke saw himself as bear, dog, wolf, pig. The primitive came to him as madness. The primitive comes to me as fear, isolation, shame. I see myself as rabbit, porcupine, killdeer, robin. The rhythm of a journal is wider and more loosely complicated. I should be able to take accidental journal bits and jump cut them as if tuning a radio in, out, playing the white noise, as if bringing in proximity itself as a substance between, always there but never verified, never recorded. Through confusion, to confusion, like experimental fiddle, the dead fly, a knot cut away. Somewhere there is a loose black thread now. It has no end sewn to hold it to its chore. A thread shows itself and disappears, shows itself and disappears, shows itself and disappears and can be pulled out. The dead fly, a knot cut away, a hem undone, the darkness sagging. I have rejected the heroes of my youth. It is an ultimate compliment. I am treating them like family. I have begun to ache like toward ash. It is okay. We didn't know that lists were only distractions. To be all heart is an illness. He thought the soul was a glass-bottomed boat. It is a lid. Under the canoe, the porcupine died, a sewing nest of quills and pellets. I want a poetry without monstrosity, no disproportion, no diagrammatics, abundance plus long sequence equals Baroque mobility. Loon on back of loon, no loon on back of loon. The pen ink was so pale, I thought the page hadn't been written on. A sense of having survived, even the blandest day. We were looking at two different loons. If I don't write, do I have a pulse? Perhaps the only poem that is real to me anymore is the one that bothers me 
by its continued need of me. There is no road between witness and wisdom, though it sounds like there is. In a notebook, there is less canon. The act is ruder. The wrong step is not wrong yet. The green room is an island. Enough is a better word than maybe. I have written enough, maybe. Worthy without worth. Out of the pen into pen. Thank you. Bill Halls, give him another hand. And for the four of them again, Bruce, Bob, Armand, and Phil, another round. And you just heard a reading by Phil Hall in the last session of the second day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. And uh, going to just real briefly close up this first hour, and then I should had some uh, ads or public service announcements and also promotions that I wanted to air this hour, but I'll just close the show and we'll just air them right after. So those will kind of slide into the second hour and I'll be back then after that. But before we do that, I want to thank you for tuning in to the first hour today and let you know you've been listening to uh, the first hour of Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we're located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce Kaufman. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Hope you can stay tuned for the second hour of uh, the show today. I'm going to get three more readings, and that will be from the final day of the, that poetry festival. Again, that festival ran from June 29th through July 1st, and again, it was tied to the larger Art Fest Kingston uh, Artist Festival. And uh, just a quick reminder, too, that uh, both hours of this show, as they are each week, will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home. And uh, you'll be able to find it all there just a bit later. Uh, and we'll remain there for four years at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And uh, with that, again, thanks for tuning into the first hour. Hope to catch you on the other side. And these will take us there. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC. Listen to Saltwater Music a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. Hey, la, na, 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 na.
listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the canvassing and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. And it's uh, almost 5.02, it looks like, and you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we're located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And uh, coming up in this second hour, as mentioned in the first hour, uh, we'll continue with what will be, uh, for the most part, uh, consuming, I guess, this show for the next couple of weeks at least. Uh, and uh, I debated about bringing something in next week ahead of something else, but you know what? Uh, we're into the third day now, and I think I'm just going to continue and get all of these uh, poetry readings to air from that uh, three-day poetry festival called Poets at Art Fest 5. And again, in case you just tuned in and didn't hear me mention it just a few minutes before the top of the hour, these readings took place from June 29th to July 1st, and the poetry festival itself tied to the much larger Art Fest Kingston 2019 Artist Festival. Uh, Before we get started in the second hour, though, the usual, I guess, hourly announcement that occasionally some poetry, music, or spoken word played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. And so we're going to move into now, again, as mentioned, the very start of the third day. This was... uh, There's always a late morning session that kind of goes into the noon hour, and uh, this was that uh, morning session of the July 1st uh, that I believe ran from either 10.30 to 11.30, or I believe that's what it was, actually. And uh, 
then there were four sessions that afternoon. So we're into the last day of these, and uh, reading in that were Ron Chase and Graham and Ken Shin. So I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and just first get, we'll get into it, and let's just bring up Ron Chase. Here he is. Up first, we have Ron Chase. He is a Kingston area poet whose work can be read in various literary journals and anthologies, and he can be found, he can often be found late at night hunched over a tiny black desk writing truths that hide during the day or testing new work at open mic nights and literary events. Let's give it up for Ron Chase. I usually have some friends to help pick out the poetry, but this year they were all on vacation, so I had to do it myself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I just grabbed a random 30 or 40 poems and then just started chucking them away until I got under 15 minutes. So here's what you're going to get. Lost love. He ached so deep his heart was afraid to beat. His emptiness echoed against its own silence. His tears, dry and gone, left trails of whispers down, too faint to, for anyone else to hear. In his clenched fist, his final hope seeped between his fingers and dripped to the cold, hard floor. If I died tomorrow, if I died tomorrow, how would you say goodbye? Would you so throw yourself on my grave? Or would it be a single tear in your eye? Would you mourn with all the others or just hide it all inside so no questions could ever be asked so he wouldn't wonder why? Vulture. He circled back once again to where he was before. Exasperating time had done nothing to show him a better way or place. He had become the vulture circling his own body, riding an unseen current, waiting for it to die down enough so he could devour himself and leave his bones in place. Like a dog, he drank one after another, each before the next. His hands and head shook like a dog leaving a lake with every single swallow thinking of her with him violated voluntarily. His blurred thoughts matched his vision. His guitar made a sort of peace by keeping his hands from forming fists and protecting what is rightfully his, or at least that is what she led him to believe with tender kisses when no one was looking. The measure. It isn't measured by how many you knew or the things you owned, owned or the number of days you were here, your postal code, the brand on your coat, or even those you held dear. It's the hole you'll leave in this farce. There simply isn't anything more. It all comes down to how long it takes to notice your body slumped on the floor. Perfect notes. She played him like a violin, making sweet tones, 
so perfectly shaped, almost three-dimensional, so real he could feel them flow across his chest. They could only be for him. Then he heard them played on someone else, but those ones weren't real. Shortbread. He lifted himself out of bed like he was lifting a whipped shortbread cookie off the pan and onto some cooling rack. His tongue was still coated with what felt like bourbon and mucilage. He carefully guided his body to the kitchen and sat it on the floor. By the refrigerator light, eating cold pierogies from a plastic bag, he silently saw this is as good as his life would ever get. He put the bag back in its place, and then he put himself in his. He would think about that until dawn spilled like milk across the kitchen floor. Reassuring lies. She told him reassuring lies so he could believe something more pleasant than his truth. She knew the lies would finish him, but they were a kindness, like a gun barrel behind the ear of a lame horse. Alone. The sound of the darkness aching is so loud at times, sleep is afraid to come. So I must listen alone. If he didn't move, Night laid across his mind, hiding him from, from morning. The rain sobbed uncontrollably against his black window. He was warm under his blanket, pulled up tight to his throat like a soft rope. If he didn't move, the cold air of reality couldn't slip in. He would be safe. If he didn't move, there was nothing to fear. Nothing bumping, nothing gnashing, nothing waiting, nothing slashing. If he didn't move, he couldn't be crippled by what was hiding in his dark. If he didn't move. Final Christmas. On that final Christmas, he sat unaccompanied in front of the last real tree he would ever know. Lights twinkling and glowing, each one a memory each hanging decoration a secret place where he once hid when the spirit of Christmas wasn't quite enough. Gazing at the barren space between bow and floor, gazing into the emptiness he had created, he had finally given away every gift he had, and in the end, no one left one for him. He let himself be sad for a single moment. Then he unplugged the tree and drifted away as the room went dark and the spirit of Christmas left to rattle its chains elsewhere. Breathing at 3 a.m. at minus 32 Celsius. The air was frozen close to solid. He could only breathe in tiny slices at a time. It burned his lungs like a tongue on a lamppost. When he pushed the tired and spent breath from his cavernous chest, it hung there like 3D graffiti that he could walk around and look at from every angle as it dissolved like a dying man's will into nothing. Christmas Eve. 
thick layer of snow covered that Christmas Eve, his first in solitude. The ghost of Christmas past hovering in the hallway. Echoes of excited children scurrying like field mice, trying their best to convince the powers that be that they belong on the nice list. The spirit of the season was now silent, a dying tree. Lights glowing, barren of gifts, stands like a memory. Santa will not stop this year. The children are grown and gone. There will be no bedtime negotiations, no special snacks or watching It's a Wonderful Life in black and white, especially not that. No last-minute wrapping of gifts, finding hidden treasure, stocking stuffers that were stashed away months ago, quietly awaiting their place in Christmas socks. Only two things remain unchanged. Silent Night will be played mournfully on a life-drenched six-string guitar, watching Scrooge late at night alone, just like every other Christmas he could remember. A visit from the Christmas spirits will help him sleep. Perhaps he will awaken early and beg himself to get up, to look at the tree, and remember. He shook a bit. He chased sleep around his bed like a drunk chases his secretary around an oak desk at a Christmas party. The smack of the shot glass against the pine tabletop comforted him. The gentle kiss of the bottle against the rim of the glass made him jealous. He poured equal parts of himself and bourbon and swallowed. He shook a bit. Both were cheap and not smooth and burned going down. He was tired right to the bottom of his glass. Every time he reached it, it was more empty. And he was more tired and more empty. She wore Christmas. She wore Christmas like a scarf that, and hat, like it was made for her. Christmas spirit sits and smiles when she walks by. No rattling chains, no ghostly lessons. She just wore it like it was made for her. Unsettled winds. Unsettled winds blow cold from time to time, and my troubled bones give an ominous shudder, trying to knock the frost free, the way they always have. But there are times when the wind seems stronger than my resolve, colder than the fire I have left. As the clock ticks on, I can feel you giving me warmth giving me shelter. Your touch renews me, gives me the strength I need to get where I need to go. Fortunes. He sat in the glow of the television, an old black and white movie with the sound turned down, drinking the bourbon the tooth fairy left in exchange for something he doesn't realize he lost. Reading the fortunes hidden in the bottom of the glass, you will never have what you want. You will never have what you need. You'll be cursed by knowing the difference and what each one would look, look like. There are no lucky numbers for you. Half drunk. I stare, half drunk on loving you and half drunk on bourbon, out my window into the silent night before me. <coughs> There are a billion, billion stars floating above me. 
at least half that many fireflies floating around me. Tiny specks of light in all directions, pure and white and brilliant. I wish you were here in my arms so I could see them reflected in your eyes just before I kiss you. Set like the sun. He sat alone playing his guitar in his underwear and a white, a Walking Dead t-shirt as the last hint of the, the last hint that the sun ever existed crept below the horizon. The cool breeze dried the sweat from his tattered shirt and the residue of his empire of grit stuck to the bottom of his feet. The wind was too weak to dry his tears. He wished he could set like the sun. Finish off with this one. Purple yo-yo. She was a beautiful purple yo-yo, finally at the end of her string. She enjoyed spinning freely away from the hand that clutched her so tightly, that owned her. But it was time to be pulled back into that dark, sweaty palm once again and give up thoughts of freedom and happiness and getting off that string. Snapping back without trying. Thanks. It's Ron Chase. Let's give him another hand. And you just heard a reading by Ron Chase in the first session of the final day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival that's held on July 1st. And up next in it, uh, that morning, here was and is Anne Graham. Up next, Anne Graham lives in Kingston and started writing poetry seriously seven years ago. Since then, she has been published in several anthologies and literary magazines and performs in local spoken word poetry events, including annual events in a series, 100,000 Poets for Change, Dia de los Muertos, and here at Poets at Art Fest each year. Her work has been recently published in the Inspired Heart for Teens anthology, and she has, been, she has published five chapbooks. She's currently working on her autobiography. Let's bring up Anne Graham. Hi. <laughs> so nice to see friends. And <sighs> gives me courage to read. <laughs> okay, I wrote this one uh, after Art Fest last year. So it's called after Art Fest. Pen to page again. I must be insane after listening all weekend to poetry. Poetry so good that it filled me like food and I feel I might never write again. Such vibrant prose, the feelings that arose as I partook of this lyrical meal. It exceeded by far my foreseen bar and I felt replete right down to my toes. As I write, I know the urge will not go to write when I'm feeling as I do now. The muse has spoken, Pandora's box open, therefore I bask in the heat of this glow. I could go on and on singing this song. As a writer, I'm, I'm a writer, so therefore I must write. Gratitude fills me, but rhyming kills me. Good friends, I know this is where I belong. This is spring 
equinox. I am becoming more than changing, moth sliding into different seasons, not jealous of the moon, but so connected with her, which enables me to move as a breeze and with the tide into different realities. I wish to live so freely that I might travel on a thought or be lifted by desire, that I might dance in a song and melt into music. While so melted, I might be transmuted into a sculpture or be brushed onto a canvas of living art. I want to fly with the wild geese, gamble with the lambs, shake my hair with the leaves and push deep roots down between the soil and rock, feeling my strength grow deeper as I probe through unknown subterranean depths. I will swim with the dolphins, spout with the whales, and swim deep, deep into hidden volcanoes. Oh, to be as cold as ice, but as soft as snow, and roar like the wind. I will become a tornado, and gathering all my power, howl over the land and sea, laughing at the futility of everything in my path. Oh yes, I will live. I will live. And this is New Year 2019. I wish I could find what's on my mind today. Christmas is gone and I'm moving on to say, this is why I write to shine a light ahead, to see where to go, I really must know a plan. I will stop drifting, feeling the fog lifting slowly. Be sure of the way to go every day, wholly. Living each moment, each year a moment, for growth, each seed planted deep, for my soul to keep, always. Questions to the universe. Tell me, what can I do? What can I do? I'm crying out to the universe. Our planet appears to be coming apart and we are dying. We are dying down here. I believe we are all interconnected, yet I can't stop the slaughter or the wars. I want to disconnect from these evils. Tell me, what can I do? What can I do? Killing, disconnecting is also wrong. How can I unite with such opposing values and beliefs? And the question is this, are mine valid? I need discernment. Real peace cannot be the result of war. Cast away fear which will foster weakness. Stay steadfast in tested beliefs. Stay strong. Connect with others, adding to their strength. The conflict is one of action formed by stagnating insistence on past beliefs, not recognizing evolution's normal progression in human development. Practice thinking peace, love, and harmony. Every day, each thought will add to the strength of the good energy to counteract the bad. This power blast will banish perversion. This is all you can do, all you can do. And this I wrote last summer, and it's just four little lines each of little things that uh, I enjoyed during the summer. Just being. 
The joy of doing nothing, sitting in the sun, it's hard to describe just being, sitting in the sun, waiting. The pool was blue and very still, a yellow duck on one side, across from a big red ball. The children had all left the pool. Play. A picnic in the park, as the balloons make rude noises, grandma acts disgusted, which adds more delight and laughter for the children as they play. Encounter. On a sweltering summer afternoon, I seek a sheltering space from the sun. A weeping willow close by shakes its leaves. Come and rest, I hear. Hang loose with me. Interconnectedness. Floating in a lake surrounded by trees, with the blue sky as my bedroom ceiling, children's laughter mixed with chirping birds, I feel a holy wholeness unsurpassed. Rain. Summer rain at night feels like a sigh, relief palpable as the earth breathes, sending out thanks to the universe for this reprieve from the sun's heat. Counterpoint. A mock fight in the swimming pool today. I'm on your side, pass me a weapon, please. The water guns are loaded. Many screams are heard above the laughter of adults. But in Syria, and lands far away. Screams are heard from the children. No laughter is heard from adults. Only the sirens wail, and warm red blood flows free like water. Goodbye. I hate to say goodbye to anyone. I'll hide, run away, or make some excuse. But this is the hardest of all farewells. How will I ever say adieu to summer? This is a little tongue-in-cheek. Truth and justice. Obviously, the ocean is dry. The desert is as wet as can be. Please don't argue otherwise with me. We know that the earth is flat, of course, and the wind comes when the trees blow. These are facts everyone should know. Every year the snow comes in the spring. Thank goodness for the winter sunshine. These truths come, us, come to us from the gods a sign. A sign of peace and justice for all. They calm me and cause tranquility, knowing that if indeed this is true, life must be as perfect as can be. Summer wish. Sweet summer, be one of deep experience. Hungry, I need to taste your succulent meat, sucking out the marrow, using the bone for toothpicks, tiny shards, to pick the unkind words I have bitten back with clenched teeth. I invite the sun, the sun to possess me, to melt my stuck attitudes, past regrets, instant assumptions, I call on summer storms to strike me to the core, to supercharge my energy so that when I give, I am not depleted. Torrential rain come cleanse me, wash away my fears, petty gripes and pains, fill my rivers of compassion so they overflow. But most of all, sweet, loving sun, warm me in your embrace 
and protect me from the winter, which I know must surely come. Seasons. The leaves and I are both fading. Autumn creeps slowly into place. The summer sun is fast paling, slow and steady winning the race. Spring teaches what I need to learn. Summer fills me to repletion. Autumn warns of winter's return, and winter wears me to depletion. The season's changes are well known. Getting old also has its themes. Spring, summer, and autumn have flown. Now winter persists in my dreams. I need to make winter my friend, relax, enjoy the warmth inside, not just waiting for it to end, trusting that in spring I'll abide. A Choir of Daffodils. I'm watching a choir, a choir of daffodils. Their heads are turned skyward. Does this stance enable their voices? Because God is not up there, but sitting here with me on a chair by the window, watching a choir of daffodils. And the last one. I think it's the last, yes it is. Labels. It's not my idea to have a label. It's just that everyone seems to have one. So I may steal one, like a hermit crab, easing in, crouching low, trying to blend in. Unlabeled, lost in a sea of labels, I try each one with the hope that I will fit. It feels like a game of musical chairs because I'm always the one left standing. In a, a crowd, I tend to become dislodged, losing my hold of the borrowed shelter. I am left in terror of being discovered naked and without a cover story. I'm longing to find other hermit crabs. I understand we won't look the same, but if we peek beneath the borrowed shell, what comfort for us to contact sameness. Roseanne Graham, let's give her another hand. And you just heard a reading by Ann Graham in the first session of the final day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Uh, that day was July 1st. And up next in it, here is Ken Chin. Up next, Ken Chin says he believes the world is an endless source of poetry waiting to be put into words was born in Hong Kong, but lived most of his life in Canada, and has traveled extensively with many life experiences. He says as well, he's been uh, writing for a few years with a few poems published here and there. Let's bring up Ken Chin. Hi, how do you like the mosquitoes? Yeah, I think they like Chinese food. Okay. Questions. Throughout the ages, there are questions asked time and time again. Perhaps there is no definitive answer, 
or the answer changes as time passes. Yet the search for truth never ends, and the questions never end. Where does the world end, mariners once ponder? Where do we drop off the edge? Once we discover that the world was round, astrophysicists take up the question again. The ordinary man thinks not of the heavens nor the seas. He does often wonder if it will rain, take the umbrella, or wash the car. The question remains the same. Questions that we hear and ask daily, what time it is, and does he and she or she loves me? Will I get that raise? Are they less important than the loftier questions? What is the purpose of life? Is there a God? And what happened to my car keys? <laughs> we all have our own little worlds, our own little concepts of heaven and hell. What may seem like nothing to you may mean a lot to others. Be slow to condemn till you see the view from the other side and question the motives of those in authority before they question you. All the way. This is, um, I wrote this after having a conversation with a friend of mine. It's all bullshit, she said. The things you do, the way you push yourself, it's all macho bullshit. She was referring to my 35 years or more intensive training in Kung Fu, or how I pushed myself to run even at the age of 62. I could do the half marathon. She was probably also thinking of my exploits with the gorillas in Central America back in the 80s. She never saw what I do at work, how I pushed myself to do my best at places like Tim Hortons or Burger King. When I do something, I give it all I got. I go all the way. It's not macho, it's just the way I am. I have this belief, if something is worth doing, it is worth giving your best shot. No holding back, maximum effort. Win, lose, or draw, you did your best. There's a sense of accomplishment in that. Focusing on achieving perfection each and every moment, and a person will live a full life each day. Make that a lifelong practice, and that person will not fear death. Attaining perfection, like thirst for life, has a rhythm of its own, contagious. It will spread to everything you do. It will eventually define you. Whether you are running supplies of refugees through enemy lines in Central America, or cleaning toilets at Burger King. You will never really know life till you face death. And you will never know how high life can take you till you see it from the lowest point. I moved to um, Kingston 20 years ago, and I've lived all over the place now. Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa. Just cities. But Kingston, there's something about Kingston. Let's see if you agree with me. This one's called Limestone City. Built on solid rock. Built to be the seat of a great nation. Built to launch ma majestic tall ships. Today, a crossroad for major cities. This limestone city, Kingston. Hard to get used to at first. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows you. A city with small town flavor. Love it or leave it. Depends on you. Really friendly cab drivers. People on the street say hello to you. Bimbo the Clown rides up Brock Street on a Harley. Out on the streets just before dawn, combat-ready soldiers on maneuvers greet you. Unique things I love about Kingston. This place grows on you. Students liven up the hub when the sun sets. Girls strut in front of stages on Friday nights. And in cricket field, sometimes actual cricket games are played. 
To really taste the flavor of Kingston, you need to hang around Market Square. Ice skating in the winter, farmer's market on Saturday, and losing yourself in the flea market on a hot Sunday afternoon. Living and working in downtown Kingston, I don't even need a car. You know you're living in the right place when your neighborhood is on the trolley tour. Shopkeepers on Princess Street know me by name. Sure miss the old SNR. Events happening around you all the time, pretty hard to get bored. So what the front neck don't always win? Derby girls are here when the weather gets hot. The Lakeshore by KGH is a runner's paradise, except in spring when the bugs fly ashore. Location of Kingston is special. Anyone with a sailboat would agree. The same winds that make it great for sailing dumps on New York all the snow that we don't need. I love Kingston best in the summer. Skimpy outfits and tourists everywhere. Drinks out on the patio by Confederation Basin and movie nights in Market Square. Bring your own lawn chair and a blanket, just like a drive-in without a car. Sun-drenched days and all night out on the town. Wish summer days in Kingston never ends. A town named to honor a king. A city built on rock, heavy in history, but not in industry. Hidden gem of Eastern Ontario, some people would like to call, would like to call, <coughs> but for me, Kingston's a good place to call home. The next one's called Immigration. Um, it's pretty an angry poem. I read this after um, I heard Donald Trump's little speech on immigrants. If nothing else, the guy sure inspires you. <laughs> From across the stormy seas they came, in wooden sailing ships and a plan. New knowledge that the world was round, sail west, and the spice lands of the, of the Orient will be found. What a surprise when they came to land on a new pristine continent instead. So they came with sword and gun to take the new land as their own. Indigenous people they pushed aside, or just kill them off if they try to fight. <coughs> Centuries pass, others would come from nations far to escape violence, poverty, famine, or war, with little or more than the clothing on their back, looking for a new start, looking for a place to call home. But there are those who would raise a cry. Don't let them inside. They would take away our jobs, rape our daughters and our wives, blow us up with their IEDs, and force their religion on us. Listen, you who protest the most, that which scares you, your ancestors have already done. You are the descendants of those who took the land by deception and force. These are immigrants and refugees, not conquistadors or colonists. Not everyone wants to dominate, control, and own everyone they see. Do not judge them by what your forefathers have done. They only want to live in peace. The people who should have been denied entry would have been your Bible-thumping ancestors with their self-righteousness and their guns. The last one, since this is Canada Day, I wrote the thing about multiculturalism. Something pretty close to me, actually. Years ago, when I was traveling overseas, people would ask me where I was from. When I, was I, when I told them I was Canadian, there would be blank looks. Or they would say, but you don't look Canadian. <laughs> then I would have to explain that I grew up in Canada and I am a Canadian citizen. That happens quite often. And it used to piss me off a lot. In the early 60s, as, an immigrant, as, a, as kids in an immigrant neighborhood, we tried to figure out who was Canadian. We were Greeks, Italians, Chinese, etc. But none of us were Canadians. 
Then someone said we were all Canadians. It was then that we realized the Canada of the future was going to, going to be made up of many nationalities and cultures. Canada is a young nation. Other than the original first people, we are all immigrants. Whether your forefathers came four years ago or 400 years ago, we are still trying to discover our identity as Canadians. The government has given us a new word to guide us in which direction to go, multiculturalism. Canada's strength is in her diversity. The prime minister has even said so. That means being Canadian does not necessarily mean that you are white and Christian, at least not anymore. And those who fear that Canadian culture will be taken over, I got news for you. It already has been taken over by American culture. From what I've seen from the view of a first-generation immigrant, most children of immigrants can't wait to get into the Canadian culture to become just like any other Canadian kids. It is the parents that are struggling to make their kids retain their culture. Seniors now outnumber youth. Birth rate in the developed world is dropping. Like it or not, the workforce will need to replace. And they will be replaced by new Canadians who bring the world to our doorsteps and for us to show the world that we could live together in peace and harmony by just being who we are as Canadians. Thank you. Ken Chair, let's give him another hand. And you just heard a reading by Ken Chin in the first session of the final day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival that was held again on July 1st, this particular day, the last day. And I'm going to mention again this afternoon, because uh, I don't think I have this hour, maybe at the start, but just in case, uh, that, that this three-day Poetry Festival was part of a larger Art Fest Kingston Artist Festival. Uh, that ran as well from June 29th through July 1st. And there was one other reader in this first session, but the uh, unfortunately uh, the reading was just, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four minutes too long to actually fit in uh, this hour with the rest of them. So definitely will be the first read. And it was Eric Folsom. It will definitely be... Uh, the first reader up you'll hear here next week as we continue to work our way through that final day of uh, that poetry festival. Uh, you know what? I do have a few events I'd like to tell you about, upcoming events, but maybe I'll do it backwards today, and we'll actually do these recorded announcements that I also need to do first. So I'll be right back after these. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio sit, News. Sit back, relax, listen to some hip-hop with the premium plus Friday. Time stop rocking till it's time to go. It's DJ professional rocking the show. The fantastic dollar bill every Friday night at 9 p.m. It's got it's got feeling. 
sit back, relax, listen to some hip hop on the premium plus show. Friday, sweater with the ground. Remember the party time starts at nine and doesn't end until ten. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. Loving Spoonful is a community food organization in Kingston, Ontario. We work to create and promote food security in our city through many projects, including community gardens, farmers markets, grow a row, food reclamation, and community kitchens. Currently, Loving Spoonful is looking for volunteers to help deliver fresh, healthy food to shelters and meal programs. We are also seeking volunteers to participate in kitchen work bees, where we preserve surplus produce to be used in meal programs. Please email info at lovingspoonful.org if you're interested in getting involved. For more information about Loving Spoonful, visit www.lovingspoonful.org. Shirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7. Finding a voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. 
And I'm going to find my sheet here and uh, go through a few minutes of announcements. I think I will just skip over to events. We do have some events coming up. Uh, in fact, one is even coming up this Sunday. It is, uh, again, the, the next reading. Uh, they're usually monthly sessions in a seasonal uh reading so mostly summer sometimes into fall it's at the bookshop in tamworth and uh the reading up there uh, will be john donlan and miriam claver uh this sunday uh and uh at the bookshop there in tamworth also uh, performing a bit of music um, with them I believe, I don't believe behind them, but I think in between their readings uh, will be uh, Ann Archer. And uh, John Donlan will be reading from his sixth collection of poetry called Out All Day. And Miriam Claver will be reading from her uh, mystery novel called Fate Accompli Murder in Quebec City. Uh, there will be light refreshment. It does start at 2 p.m., uh, this Sunday, again, at the bookshop in Tamworth, which is located at, it says, the foot of Peel and Bridge Street East in Tamworth. Uh, but it's very easy to find. It's uh, in their backyard on top of a kind of a little bit of a hill. So, uh, again, you'll find it if you just make it to Tamworth. Tamworth's not a big place. So there you go. And uh, then uh, coming up, uh, we're jumping out a bit here, but a week from... Uh, Tomorrow, uh, the Hot Chocolate Charity Concert Series begins again, and this month uh, uh, that was originally set up by Haley Sarfeld and Steph Kilak as uh, SAF Decaf, and now with Steph working overseas, uh, Haley is has taken over, and Anthea Fever uh, will be assisting her. Uh, musicians for it are vetted, and the charity has already been chosen, and it is called True North Aid. And so I uh, would suggest uh, that's coming up Saturday, August 31st, 2 to 4.30 p.m., and it's always held at the Community House, which is 99 York Street uh, here in Kingston. Uh, there is a Facebook page. Uh, just uh, search Hot Chocolate Charity Concert in August, and should take you right to that event page. Also, not here, but away from here, uh, coming up uh, in Toronto, somebody sent me some information about that reading there, uh, but Brian T.W. Way, uh, Arthur Bull, and uh, um, Richard M. Grove will launch and read from their latest books, and John B. Lee will also read as a guest worker. A reader and uh, music will be provided by the spokes so uh, that's going to happen Sunday September man we're talking about September it's almost here Sunday September 1st 2 30 to 4 30 p.m. it's going to be held at the supermarket restaurant and bar which is located at 268 Augusta Avenue in Toronto and let's see how I'm doing for time here what have I got I will go ahead and mention the two. They're out just a bit farther, but just a couple of days. Uh, the next, uh, here in Kingston, the next And the Journey Continues open mic reading series will be happening a week from Tuesday. So Tuesday, September 3rd, 
7 to 9.30. Doors open at 6.30 at the Elm Cafe. Uh, and uh, there is a bus stop right outside the door if you need to come that way, but it's not that far north of Princess Street, maybe six blocks. I don't know, maybe not even. Uh, but it's at the corner of Montreal and Charles, 303 Montreal Street. There is a Facebook event notice for it, so just uh, search and the journey continues open mic reading and if you see the next and it says something about august or september then you'll know you've got it so and then also that same evening in tweed is their first tuesday night of the month poetry series called the first tuesday muse and it's always held at uh, the tweed's mirror tavern which is in downtown tweed so theirs is a same sun uh tuesday september 3rd there's doesn't there's runs though from 7 to 9 p.m so almost exactly the same time and just a matter of not that many kilometers apart really so that's pretty cool we've got tuesday night covered in this part of ontario apparently so I'm going to start, I guess, uh, rather than move on, because most of the events that I see coming up are uh, out there beyond even uh, next, the week after next, I believe. Seems like I have something that should be in here that I'm not seeing. No, I think I've got everything in here. And things do start to get busy, though, the following week. As we move in towards, you know, after the 10th, let's just put it that way, after the 10th of September. So I have a much longer uh, list for you to go over next week and we'll allow a little more time for it as well, maybe in both hours, just so we can cover it all. Uh, So I'm just looking at the clock and debating. I think it's about time to begin to close down. I just would like to thank you. Uh, for tuning in uh, to uh, Finding a Voice here this afternoon and uh, on CFRC 101.9 FM. Again, we are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And again, as I did in the first hour, I want to remind you that uh, each week uh, the show is uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after the show ends. And uh, that blog space address is finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And all shows uh, remain there for usually at least four years. And then I have to start peeling them off to make a little more room for more. So. Uh, and I uh, hope you can stay tuned at the top of the hour at 6 o'clock. Uh, Salt Water Music is an, a show of East Coast music hosted by Rob Carnell, a two-hour show that will begin at the top of the hour. And uh, n- next week, and I think I've kind of decided through the course of the show, I'm not going to jump around, and I've got a couple of other events that I could bring in next week but i think i'm at the point where i feel pretty grounded in this uh three-day reading series and i'm just going to continue with that so again you'll hear eric Folsom, and let's see if i can pull out the list here and give you kind of a heads up where i think we'll be 
what I'll be able to do next week. We'll definitely get into the next uh, reading, which will be John Donlan, Leslie Saunders, uh, Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Aru. And then I know we're probably going to get even into, if not through the next portion. Yeah, I'm not going to take any chances and announce it here, but we're definitely going to get uh, considerably more done of that last day next week. So, again, I want to thank you very much for having tuned in today uh, to uh, Finding a Voice here on CFRC. I hope you have a great weekend. If you're into the blues, it's the Blues Festival here in Kingston this weekend. And so maybe our paths will cross somewhere in there. Or, again, I'd really consider suggesting you head up to Tamworth and catch that reading series there. Going to go out of here this afternoon with uh, just a bit of Bob Dylan. This is off his The Freewheeling Bob Dylan album and a song called girl from the north country have a great weekend whatever you decide to do if you're traveling in the north country fire where the winds hit heavy on the borderline remember me who lives there For she once was A true lover man If you go when Snowflakes storm When the rivers Freeze and Summer ends Please see she has a coat so warm to keep her from the howling winds please see if her hair hangs long if it rolls and flows all down her breast please see for me has hanging long for that's the way I remember her best I'm wondering if she remembers me at all many times I've often prayed in the darkness of my night In the brightness of my day
is there She once was a true love of mine 